I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, hello. It is wonderful to be back in the studio today. I am your host of Real People OC, Kimberly Martin, and I am, as always, very thrilled to be here. Um, I'm here with you each and every Thursday afternoon from 4 to 5, and we try to bring you very interesting folks from county life. Uh, Today is always going to be, well, today is no such exception, but um, a real rare treat for us here at KUCI. I had the um, great pleasure of taking my husband out on a date this weekend, and lately I've been indulging in um, the wonderful offerings of our local smaller theater houses, and um, I just have a great experience I wanted to share with you all today. Uh, Years ago, I lived in Laguna Beach, and uh, believe it or not, I've just rediscovered the Laguna Beach Playhouse, and oh my gosh, I'm so excited to... um, to share with you what I did over the weekend. I went to see Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking and witnessed a stunning performance by actress Linda Pearl. Now, Linda, you may remember, I don't know, I kind of feel like I've grown up with Linda. <laughs> and um, and maybe maybe there's a good reason for that. Linda has, um, Linda has performed, oh gosh, I, we're going to dig a little deep into her career today. And she's just pretty much been everywhere, theater and film and, um, and just, I would say, probably a household face for most of us. And so I'm excited to bring her on uh, the telephone. We have her via telephone today to talk a little bit about her performance. It was I would have to say a very demanding performance. It certainly was as an audience member um, and a very intimate portrayal. I felt like I was in the living room with somebody. It, it was amazing. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. I'm having a bit of mic issues, so I apologize. But uh, Linda, can you hear me? Are you yes, here with I us? Yes, I can. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, oh, thank you. I, you know, it struck me so much when I sat down at the Laguna Beach Playhouse and there was just this chair and a glass of water. And I mm-hmm. thought, I thought, uh oh, we're in for a ride, but it's not the kind of ride <laughs> you think you're going to be in for. Uh, <laughs> tell me what this, what this is like for you to, to prepare for a performance like this. This is a, was an amazing <laughs> performance. Well, thank you so much. Uh, the first word that, that comes to mind is that it's a privilege um, it's an extraordinary piece of writing. Um, Joan Didion, as we all know, is a you know incredibly smart writer. She goes so um, 
deeply, sort of surgically, forensically into her own psyche and comes back to the audience with this manifesto on how to survive grief, really survive it, not just kind of get through it, but really come out the other side. Um, I find it to be an enormously healing piece to to be a part of and uh, very interesting to feel how it lands each night on the audience. Are you finding then from each night that you respond differently to the the topic and also maybe the the lines that you're reading? To a degree. Um, to a degree. It's not wildly different every night, I would say. But, you know, sometimes you'll just you'll hear someone in the audience weep or laugh or be uncomfortable. And so that sort of informs... Um, I don't know, maybe particular uh, uh, moments that that you stress more than others, but uh, but it's no, it, it's very much the same show. At least I try for it to be uh, night after night. It's technically it's uh, there's a lot to it. I would say from the stage manager's point of view, because there's there are a lot of sound cues, there's a, there are a lot of light cues and graphics, and so that's very much a dance between myself and the designer as he was creating it, and now the stage manager as he too is performing the play with me. <laughs> well, so what's what's fascinating, if we could just give our listeners an idea of what you walk into, Laguna Beach um, is, is already, it's a pretty intimate venue anyway, and you walk in, it's a small theater, which I happen to love small theater because of that intimacy you can experience, but there's just the chair, and there's the blanket and then the glass of water. Mm. And nobody knows this, but they're going to witness such a demanding performance from you. I wanted to read and reflect, if you wouldn't mind, a little bit of what the LA Times said in their review of this performance. Um, Mm. Indulge me for a minute. It says that although Didion's dramatic reconfigurations of her justly celebrated literary account of coping with an untenable grief aren't easily absorbed in theatrical terms, the zigzagging time frame and subtle variance of phrase and intent are tailor-made for a virtuoso performer of significant inner resources. And in the transcendent hands of Pearl, that's exactly what it receives. That's that's a really generous review. Oh, it's really nice. It is very nice. You know, it's curious, interesting for me to hear you describe uh, Laguna Playhouse as a as a small theater. Of course, it it is. But I will say, I got to do this play a year and a half ago. I guess up in Santa Barbara, where we originated the production. That that theater was was quite small. It was maybe seats 150, something like that. You know. And I will say that moving to this house, which is seats just under 500, it feels much more, it's taking more out of me, oddly. Um, it just, it takes that much more energy, depth, focus, <laughs> just physically, you know, to put the, put the show across. Um, so, uh, uh, so I guess just all in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> well, maybe, Funny. maybe so, yeah. I can see, though, um, you are small in stature. And um, so large in your presence on stage. Is what you're describing that desire to reach that person in the back row? Totally. Totally. It's, you know, it. I think as Joan Sidian wrote it, it really is a, a journey. And she engages the audience right away with 
you know, telling them that, that she's there for a reason. She's there for a purpose. She's not, it's not just one person standing up on stage saying, this is what I went through. It's saying, these are the tools you're going to need when it happens to you. Um, and so in that sense, it really drives the, um, drives the play. It, it gives the play a, a purpose. Um, so, so hopefully, you know, we sort of come out together a little bit wiser, um, a, a little bit more prepared at the end of the evening. So take our listeners through the narrative um, that brings Joan to this place in her living room and telling the audience about the year of magical thinking. Sure. Well, she had, it's all, you know, based on fact. She had a wonderful husband who they had come home from seeing their daughter uh, in a in dire straits in the hospital and sat down to dinner and, and he dropped dead. And she wrote this book about surviving, <clears throat> you know, the year after his, after his death. And um, shortly after the book was, was published, uh, her daughter then died. And so she's had these two unbelievable, you know, tragedies in her life, great losses in her life. And and the um, Scott Rudin, who's, uh, I think, I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but he must be an extraordinary uh, person. We all know he's a great theater producer, but he went to Joan Didion and said, Joan, this is a play. You need to turn this into a play. Now, she'd never written a play before, and and that took courage, you know, on his part just to suggest it. And then he said, oh, and that little thing about your daughter dying, the audience can't be smarter than the person up on stage, so you're also going to have to include the fact that your daughter died. Well, he eventually convinced her to, to write this, and she did, on the condition that Vanessa Redgrave would, would originate the role. Of course, Vanessa has suffered her own incredibly significant and serial losses, and um, they were lifelong friends, and uh, their children had known one another. So it all seemed to be, you know, they companioned one another in this process. And um, Vanessa originated the role in the West End and then brought it to New York. And um, so, that, uh, so that was how the play came, came to be about. Very interesting. Um, the piece about adding the daughter in the play, um, mm. it, it was so surprising that it was there, and yet um, you you hung there from beginning to the end, really really knowing that that was going to happen. Mm. Mm. Um, such significant loss. Have you met Joan or spoken to her through the process of working on this mm. play? I have not, and um, of course I would love to. I. It's funny because I, uh, I, I, there are many people in the book that are referred to, Lynn Nesbitt, um, Susan Traylor's mother, um, Catherine Ross, and, and so these are all people that, that I, I knew and know, and not well, but, but know them anyway. And, and, of course, the places. I've lived in L.A. for such a long time, so for any of us who have enjoyed the life in Southern California, they're just the physical places that she refers to are all very much part of the fabric of all of our lives. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I would be daunted to meet Joan. I, I feel, uh, you know, I mean, her writing is so personal, so authentic and truthful. Of course, once you've read her books or this one in particular or 
seen this play, you feel at some level um, that you do know her. I mean, the only thing I could think to say to her is, thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you that I, when I first did this show, my, my mother had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and I, I, she had several months to live, but um, I said you know, I, to my mother I couldn't possibly do the play, that my place was at her side, and she insisted that I do the play. Um, and, you know, being a forceful mother, um, I, I, I took direction from her, and, and we still had many months together before she eventually got past very, very peacefully in her own home. But what this became for us, uh, for my mother and me, was uh, it became our guide uh, through to her you know, passing on, and it was an extremely helpful piece for my mother. Uh, so that was uh, that was a part of the, this will sound an odd word to use, but I mean it sincerely a part of the joy of that journey. I understand that because there's something about having a conscious passing that mm-hmm. so many of us mm-hmm. don't get. Certainly Joan didn't get that in her situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that there's material out there that can that can facilitate that is mm-hmm. is so significant. I love the line that she says um, in in the year of magical thinking. Um, I'm looking for it here. She's she talks yeah. about not knowing or uh, grief finds you in an instant. Is that there's one? Um, I had it right in front of me. Gosh, mm-hmm. um, I'll find it. But it's just the grief turns out to be a place that none of us know until we reach it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that is, that is pretty, that is pretty potent because we all cheat death every day, probably in more ways than one, given the lives we live, um, cars and streets and walking and all of those things. But, um, she, she writes so powerfully about it, but what would you say magical thinking is for her? And now that you've done this play for you, describe that to me. It's the process, um, what a great question. I, I think, I don't really know, I th- it's the process where you, you're, the, where the psyche takes in only as much of the big transition a, as it can in very small increments. And it, it leaves the rest sort of in the ether so that you, I mean, to accept someone's passing that you love, you know, you you have a sense of them being with you. You have you you just you remember them. You expect them to walk through the door. You you expect to hear their voice on the telephone. You it doesn't make sense that you do. I mean, intellectually, you know that they're dead and gone, but there is a kind of I don't know, an expectation. They're part of your life rhythm. And so you I don't think the psyche can just go, okay, you know, they're dead, on to the next. You 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 live with this sort of fantastic expectation. She describes it as uh, uh, she, that she had come across the, the phrase of magical thinking when she's been reading anthropology, and she describes that primitive cultures operate on magical thinking or if thinking and the quotation this is from the play then she says you know for instance um with primitive cultures if we sacrifice the virgin the rains will come back 
or if I keep his shoes, her husband's shoes, then her husband will come back. It makes no sense at all, and you think it involuntarily anyway. For as long as you are in the mourning process, which is a process, and so I think you, you, when those thoughts come involuntarily, you just have to let them be and let your psyche kind of gradually accept that someone is is gone. It's it's interesting because you cited some of the more dramatic ways, and I found it to be incredibly. Um, I don't know, centering to hear an intellectual woman's version of that discussion, mm-hmm. um, magical mm-hmm. thinking. I found that quote, it says, um, life changes in an instant, the ordinary instant. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, she was mm-hmm. just there at dinner. But I think everybody engages in some form of magical thinking or another. And to hear one yeah. of the greatest intellects of our time um, indulge in this so that she could help herself heal mm-hmm. was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, we've, we, you and I both have been using the word death a good deal, and it, it, it has to do, certainly it has specifically to do with death and her own experience with this, but, you know, all of us have, I mean, there's seasons in all of our lives if you're, if you're living a life, and so there are passages where you... Some are better than others. You have to move from one season to the next. You have to move from one incarnation to the next. And um, so it's, it's about all of that. It's about, it's about any one of those sort of metaphorical deaths as well or transitions where we have to keep up with ourselves. We have to keep up with our lives and, and, and just keep uh, your forward momentum as best you can. What do you think it is that propels us to keep doing that? I, I've often wondered why, you know, I mean, society doesn't really let you stop and, and take an inventory. But what do you mm-hmm. think that is? What, there's something about the human spirit that forces us to continue that, that movement forward. My dad is 99, and he's an eternal optimist. And I would say that, you know, I, I try to cultivate that part of my spirit just following him because it served him really, really well. And I think that's the, you know, it's the same thing that, that forces a seed to find its way up through the dirt to the sunshine. It, um, it hopes springs eternal, and I, I think that's the natural way. I think that, that's the impulse uh, is, to keep, um, is to keep moving in a forward direction. You know, I don't think that when she wrote this, she intended it to be a playbook for a conscious death for families. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm fascinated that you were able to use it as such and mm-hmm. and then make it be such an important part of your life. Um, to what degree did you find the material and the discussion on grief helpful to you in your own process? Well, my mother started her own version of magical thinking and she she was totally fearless. She was you know she had a fantastic life, and and uh, she given the option of treatment, and she said absolutely not. I've had a wonderful life, and, and that was that. So, and she lived into her nineties. So, um, and at the same time, she was, there was a process of letting go of her own life, uh, sharp as a tack until twenty four hours before she passed, and 
Um, and then, but after she went, I found that I absolutely entered into magical thinking. I have pairs of my mother's shoes. I have some of her wardrobe. I have some of her... I can't explain it. I, maybe one day I will be ready to... I have got rid of a lot of her things, but not all of them. Just just not just not ready. That's all. Yeah. And it's that period where you fear and feel their... You know, you feel their absence and their presence both. And I suppose it's just a question of, of the balance of that shift a little bit. So if we've intrigued our listeners at all, I wanted to give them a little information about uh, the performance. Um, are you performing three nights a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or how many performances uh, are happening? Let's see. Uh, Wednesday through Sundays, it's uh, 7.30, it's seven shows a week, so it's 7.30, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 7.30, and then 2 o'clock on Saturday, one o'clock and five thirty on Sunday, and the show runs about an hour and a half, hour forty. And it's a solid hour and forty. Um, mm-hmm. I made the mistake of of getting up to use the ladies' room at at the last possible moment for me, and I missed the last three lines. Oh, oh gosh, <laughs> I was so disappointed. I'm like, uh-huh. I just might have to go back down there and listen to it again. Um, <laughs> okay. Can we talk a little bit? Oh, I guess if somebody wanted to go and find out information about that, it's LagunaPlayhouse.com, uh, and you can mm-hmm. um, you can look up ticket information there. And mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a sold out performance that I attended. It was amazing. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it's like as an actress to perform a role where you are speaking for that full hour and forty minutes? Well, it's it's weird. It's a, it's a sixty two page monologue, and I. I can't explain it. I mean, I can't. I can't remember phone numbers, uh, you know. But this just seeps into the marrow of your bone, as good writing can, and it's a dialogue. No, it's not exactly dialogue. It's it. You you don't feel. I don't feel that I'm alone up there at all. There's so many characters that she speaks of in the play. I feel that they're all there. We're all there together. Um, and also, it feels like um, like you're sort of embarking on the grand tradition of, of, of oral tradition. You know, I really feel like we're like Joan sat down by the campfire and gave us the life download. And um, so I, I now all the actresses they get to do this this role. Um, we're sitting around that same campfire, and now they're sitting around campfires of their own <laughs> and passing along you know, what they've learned from an elder. Um, and that, and I, people, you know, I've had the chance now to do it in, uh, up in Santa Barbara, as I mentioned, in, in Colorado and Florida and now here. And so met different people from different walks of life and who have, uh, you know, seen the play. And uh, it's just fascinating to hear, get people's feedback on it. And, you know, for either a nurse or a hospice worker or, a, you know, a parent or a child or a spouse and um, people who have been through versions of their own of this kind of this kind of story. That, that's for some of, the, some of the audience members, you know. 
Um, if you're just tuning in with us, we are enjoying a discussion with Linda Pearl, iconic actress who is now performing locally here at the Laguna Playhouse. Um, she is performing Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking, and it will. Um, uh, we just discussed that it it runs on Wednesdays, Wednesday through the through Sundays, and um, it'll be with us here in Laguna um, up until November second. And um, people can go find ticket information by going to lagunaplayhouse.com. If if you would, Linda, for a minute, can we talk a little bit about your career and mm-hmm. um, and what it's been like? I, I got to enjoy mm-hmm. a personal moment, if it's all right that I share. Um, Pierce Brosnan was in the audience watching you on opening night with his lovely wife. Yeah. And I was curious, was that a surprise that he showed up? <laughs> I knew he was going to be there, but, you know, he's so, he and Keely are so busy, I wasn't sure if he would actually be there. He's been a friend since 1980, if you can believe it. And so it was just, it was a great joy. And, and, you know, of course, he has lived this play. He's lived the play. Yeah. So, you know, you really want to honor someone's, uh, someone's journey. Anyway, that was great. What an incredibly gracious, lovely, lovely, sweet man he is. I could so certainly was, uh, see that and his, his fondness mm-hmm. for you. Can you reflect back when um, when the two of you worked together and tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> <laughs> sure. It was 1980, and uh, we were in Ireland. We were doing a, a miniseries called The Manions of America, and our fearless producer, Stanley Kalis, who lives here in Laguna now with his lovely wife, they they you know, met and found Pierce, and they just said, this is our guy, this is it, he's the star of our show, that's, that's it. So on ABC, you know, they didn't know who he was, and anyway, he, they just they trusted family as a producer, and they said, all right, you know, it'll be on your shoulders. And so we went off, we had this incredibly jolly time for three, maybe four months uh, through the Irish winter making this fun, fun movie, and it, it brought Pierce to the States, and he got married to Cassie over that period of time, and it was a very, very fun time and just a tremendous cast. We're all of us friends to this day. And um, that's what brought Pierce to the States and then Remington Steele and, you know, the rest the is history. The rest is history. And yeah. one of the sweetest things the other night, because uh, we all went out for too late of a dinner afterwards, just kind of, you know, catching each other up on our lives. And now Pierce, for all of the, his beautiful, wonderful success, you know, I mean, a, a lesser person would not have, have remembered, but at the very end of the evening, we were all sort of, you know, kissing and hugging and saying goodbye. And he took Stanley Kalis, you know, by the arms and just said, thank you so much. You know, you started the whole thing. You brought me over. And I mean, honestly, isn't that just the mark of a great man? It, it really <laughs> <You know>? is. <laughs> it so really is. Yeah. It was served, but, um, and of course, Keely is adult so supportive and you know just as grounded as they come and uh, so you know people who have the kind of success that Pierce has enjoyed don't always have that kind of uh, of uh, I don't know character or strength and Pierce absolutely does and he remember he remembered where it all started he remembers yeah and lucky for you um, when you come down to perform <laughs> are you um, mm-hmm. staying in Laguna and are you able to to reach out to old friends like Stanley? No, you bet. You bet. Mm-hmm. Me and my chocolate lab, we have nice walks on the beach, and what a beautiful place. And 
you know, just a word about the Laguna Playhouse. The artistic director here, Annie Wareham, is a remarkable person. She was um, she was Gordon Davidson's right hand person for years up in at the Amundsen and the Mark Taper Forum. And Gordon, you know, one of the, the premier regional theater owners in the in the country. And um, so. Here's Annie Wareham, who just knows more about theater and her pinky than the rest of us put together. And she's the real deal. She's got no ego. The whole atmosphere at the Playhouse, um, you know, starts at the top. And it's just, it's a can-do swell place. They have a phenomenal education outreach program. I mean, it, it's a great resource um, for Orange County. They do a varied program. They they, you know, do all kinds of things in their subscriber season. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a very happening place, a beautiful facility. And they have a board that is very engaged, that people really care. And having worked at theaters across the country, that, you know, that, it's not always the case. Anyway, it's really fun and energizing to be on a theater campus where things are happening. They're moving. Yeah, you definitely get that sense, you know, in the lobby, mm-hmm. they're, they're showing um, Ed Asner is, is doing a portrayal of FDR. They're, they've had a, a, yeah. a, a wonderful star-studded um, lineup there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did get a chance to meet Ann, Annie. Um, oh, good. But what was interesting was I caught, I caught her saying something in the lobby uh, just before the performance started. Um, she said, if there was ever a role for you, this was the one that this one was made for you. Oh, and I, I was fascinated by that. Can you reflect on on that and um, and share with us why that might be so? Oh heavens, I I don't know. I, I think I need to defer. I don't really know <laughs> that that that's uh, that's the case. I uh, I don't know. I no, sorry, no comment. I mean, I'm flattered, but I. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's it was nice to witness such a, a, a genuine love and, and chemistry between um, her love for your performance of this of this and obviously her enthusiasm for Laguna Playhouse um, comes on. We were um, we were late in scheduling this. We were hoping to have her on as well, but oh, um, but at, well, some, at some point time, we will for sure. Another time, she's a real resource. Yeah, for the whole community. Any any upcoming roles in television that will you be revisiting back to TV, or are you spending most of your time on the stage these days? Well, let's see. We just did a series called Reckless um, for CBS um, with the utterly divine Gregory Harrison, and uh, that just aired. We had uh, 13 episodes. But sadly, we were canceled. We were not picked up for a second season. So we were hoping, but it didn't go our way. Um, so no, gosh, sadly I have nothing. I do, I do singing engagements. I, I do concerts. Um, you know, about once every six weeks or so, I'll go off somewhere and and uh, and and sing, uh, which is fun. So I'll go to New York, and my CD is getting released in Japan next month. So I'll go over there and perform. And well, that's exciting. So, do you yeah, do you still have a very large following in Japan? You might tell our listeners about your early start there. Oh. I don't think I do, actually. I My parents were in business there forever. They lived in Asia for 25 years, and that was my stomping ground. My whole growing up years, you know, elementary, junior high, were in Tokyo. And uh, and I loved the theater, and uh, so I worked in the theater there and was trained there and <clears throat> did some recording there. And, uh, it was, But I was sort of a gimmick. You know, there weren't that many people there who were interested in um, 
in the theater, who lived there for as long as we did, who also spoke the language. So those sort of three boxes ticked. Um, if there was ever a part for uh, a foreigner, um, I would get it, and, um, you know, a little girl sort of thing. So I, I got to work quite a bit as a child growing up, and um, but, you know, things move on, and you don't always want to be. Okay, I had a little technical difficulty. Do we have you here with us? I believe so, yes, I can hear you. Do we have, you know, Linda, we have Annie as well on, on with us as well. Oh, Hi, my dear. Great. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Good. We were just talking, um, tell us what we were just talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, you were asking about sort of my connection to Japan and I, just that I'd had my, my childhood there and... Uh, and um, so now my CD will be coming out there, and I hope to have a chance. To, I'll go back um, later on in the winter. Oh, very good. Annie, yeah. we were just saying lovely things about you and your talent um, and how mm -hmm. Laguna Playhouse is reaping those rewards. Um, can the two of you reflect together for our listeners about um, the performance that uh, Linda's been giving audiences down there? Oh, gosh. Well, Linda's very generous with her praise, and um, and the feeling is mutual and beyond. I mean, I, uh, I've i said this many times before, but Linda is, you know, just an extraordinary artist and truly one of the brightest, smartest, most intelligent people I know. Um, and, boy, it takes all of that to bring that to this role. Um, you know, I think that all that you are, Linda, and all that you've become over your lifetime and your childhood in Japan and, you know, very bright parents and incredibly interesting experiences in your life have all brought you to this moment. And mm -hmm. it's not for the faint of heart this role to play this role. You have to... Mm -hmm. Um, you have to come at it from a lot of different directions. Um, mm -hmm. And to be able to sustain that over, you know, seven, eight performances a week, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's Thank quite, you, Annie. you know, Thank it's quite you the so task. And Linda is just um, amazing. Amazing. Uh -huh. Well, I you had... Sort of, you get the feeling like you spent, because the writing is so brilliant. It keeps feeding you, you know. It's sort of like the dinner that, that never ends. I feel sometimes like I'm standing in the center of a peony, because the petals keep unfolding. Um, it, so. it, it, is, it, is, it is very riveting, just like that. I, um, I was fascinated at being in the audience. Um, I was just sharing Annie with, with Linda. I... I must have eavesdropped on a on a comment you made in the lobby just before the performance was starting on opening night, where you shared that this role was perfect for Linda and it was made for her. And um, I I asked her to comment on that, but I think you you've just done that for us so perfectly. So yeah, I, I just think I think it's a role, Linda, that you were born to play, but nobody knows that until you've lived um, not a whole life because you're you know you're not that old. But uh, to have lived a full life, you know, and have the experience to and bring the gravitas to a role like mm -hmm. this, 
you know, which isn't to say that it's, you know, it's not like you're watching Lear on stage. You know, it's, it's, it's a, the most human tale. It's the most human tale and yeah. so relatable. And Joan's writing, as, you know, I'm sure Linda has said, is um, so beautiful and uh, accessible uh, that, you know, when those words jump off the page and off that stage and Linda's, capable hands uh it's it's not hard to be on the ride with it and on the journey well and annie you you know joan yeah yeah it's been a lot of years since i've seen her but i knew her in their la days when she and john lived there and quintana was growing up and their daughter and uh sort of we're all in the same circles of people Annie, can you comment on the unique name of her daughter? Isn't Quintana Roo the name of a Mexican state? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I can't remember. I, maybe you remember, Linda, what it was that brought them to that. But it's, she does write about it, doesn't she? About why, she named, why they named her Quintana Roo? I, I, I don't, isn't that awful? It's something, it had something to do with something she and John had worked on, that Joan and John had worked on. To do um, but they called her Q Roo as a kid. So mm-hmm. cute, so intimate. Yeah. Annie, you're the artistic director down there at the Laguna Playhouse. Can you comment on what it's like to bring such a major star like Linda and some of the others that you've brought in the past and have planned to bring in the future uh, to such a local and intimate venue that we have here in Laguna? Well, you know, it's a very special place. Uh, this, you know, it's it's a it's a jewel by the sea, the Laguna Playhouse, and Next season is our 95th season. You know, it's the longest continuously running uh, theater in the state of California. And, uh, you know, it's got got an incredible history. And I think that for true artists, especially artists of the stage like Linda and Davis Gaines and Vicki Lewis and the people who have been on Val Kilmer that have been on this stage since, you know, in my tenure, you know, I think they recognize that this is a, a home for artists. And, you know, it's we certainly do try to um, present a, a full array of programming so that there's something for everyone. Um, but I, I work, I think I work very hard at making this a place where artists want to come and work. And, you know, Linda would have to speak to that herself. But. Oh, my gosh, yes, of course. Well, you know, wherever Annie Wareham is, people follow. So that that's part of it. <laughs> also, Laguna is is. I mean, it's gorgeous. And you know what? Your audiences here are really smart. Yeah, they are. <laughs> it's they are. Uh, they're very subtle. They really listen. Uh, I mean, it's a pleasure, and that's rare, also. And I think that speaks to a, a strong subscribe. You only get to be a smart audience if you go to a lot of theater. Yeah. Just and uh, so that's, you know, you have that here. Yeah, there, there is something about the Playhouse that does have a, a really strong following. Can you comment a little bit about that, Annie? Um, you have a lot of new people joining as season ticket holders, or you just have a lot of, um, oh, gosh, folks that have just been supporting you for so long? Well, you know, it's a co- I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I I've, was... Um, I was really welcomed down here. Uh, people have been very generous and and happy to uh, to you know hear about and and take part in what I was going to bring to the theater. And new blood's never a bad thing. And Andy Barnacle is an is an amazing guy. And 
did a wonderful um, job of running this theater for 20 years. And he's a, I consider him a friend and a colleague. You know, we've really tried to bridge the past with the present and the future. I mean, Andy comes back every year since I've been here. I've brought him back every year to do something, and he'll be directing The Odd Couple this year. And, you know, I think that kind of continuity for your audience is really important um, because he, you know, he was beloved, and he's a vibrant working director and actor. So, um, you know, I think that all of that comes into play, and uh, I, I was fortunate to grow up uh, in the theater under the tutelage of Gordon Davidson, who's one of the great uh, theater impresarios and, and uh, uh, creators of the, you know, of the regional and, and resident theater movement. And um, he was all about relationships, and it is all about relationships with artists of every kind, with playwrights and directors and actors. Uh, there, because we don't do this, we certainly don't do it for the money. We do it, um, uh, you know, and it's not about the fame. It's really about the work and about the relationships. And uh, um, I just have spent many, many years building on those relationships and, and nurturing them. Uh, and, you know, Linda and I don't see each other a lot. We, you know, we run into each other or we, uh, you know, we're at some collective event, but um, you know, that friendship is, is, is longstanding and we have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. And when you have that, it's, it's so much easier to say yes to a project, you know, sure, and work sure. together. Um, can you both comment on the importance of this type of theater in our communities? You know, I feel, especially like you said earlier, Linda, that this um, is, is a bit like the lost art of storytelling where you sit down by the campfire and you share a, a very tall and important story. Um, can we talk about that, to, to that vein, why it's so important to keep theater alive in our communities? Well, you've got a lot of that one to talk about, you know, especially in, in you know, international theater uh, mm-hmm. festival work, which Linda's done a lot of. I mean, you're bringing people from all over the world, but what does it mean when you bring that into a community? Well, it makes conversation possible. It, um, I mean, the genesis of theater was was, was with the Greeks, and it, it came about, it, theater developed into a formal art form at the same time democracy came about, and it was it was necessary. People needed to have a form where they could go, okay, what if we had rules that went like this? What if we lived our lives this way? And you could paint the canvas and enter into that life and make a choice um, and have it not cost you anything, um, except, of course, cost the producers. <laughs> As a society, you go, yes. I, I do think it's a good idea to live with these laws. I, I think this is not a good idea. And and so you're, you know, the collective psyche is companioned. You're, you're companioned uh, as an individual. You find your common ground. That You laugh over certain things. You cry over certain things. You get angry at certain things. Um, so it, it, it performs a very necessary function in democracy, in any society, but I think particularly in democracy. It gives you the courage to, I mean, take this play. You can go out after this play and talk to someone about death. You can talk to anyone about fear of of losing anything. It's given you total permission to enter into that arena. Those are valuable discussions. You face your fears and you come out the other side. Um, So, and the other thing is that it's, I would say, for for youth, it gives you the the what-if clause in your life. Well, what if... 
what if I was an astronaut? What if I was a singer? Uh, what if I was a veterinarian? Um, you know, and you get to try those characters on uh, for fun, for play, and it gives you real tools. I mean, the 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 difference in the percentages of um, students, you know, performance academically for those children who are exposed to the arts and those children are not are staggering. Yeah. It's a it's a staggering lift in their ability to process, to think, to analyze. I mean, yeah, critical education ultimately is about giving people tools. You know, the arts is a shortcut to doing that. It's crucial. It's a brilliant, a brilliant shortcut. I like that. Can can you comment, either of you or both of you, on the state of theater in our country today? And also, maybe, Linda, for you to reflect back over your career that's been in both television and theater, um, was there one that you enjoyed more, or did you feel that one form was a better communicator than another, or did you see the value in both? And and the current state of of the media that we put out for for um, for people to to have that form that you just discussed to try on emotions, try on um, different aspects of ourself, and to use mm. use um, use theater. We'll use that term loosely um, as the means in which to do that. Are we doing a good job, or are we doing? Are we missing the mark these days? We're we're very much missing the mark. Um, but um, but there's some you know warriors in the field, Annie among them, and um, and then there are communities like Laguna that support this effort. So it's you know it it can work, and you can point to those beautiful successes where it where it is working. Um, and I, I would say in terms of value, sure, they, it all has value. Um, uh, I mean, theater is the actor's medium, so if I absolutely had to choose one to the other, <laughs> it would certainly be the theater. But my work in television has, um, you know, I, I've been afforded wonderful things. Heck, I, I met Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. But uh, we got to travel and, and uh, all, all kinds of wonderful things and, and time travel and um, and reach people in ways that you don't necessarily reach them in the theater just because of the sheer numbers involved. Um, <clears throat> let's see, Annie. Okay. I'm well, and up. you know, Annie and the, <laughs> there is there is nothing like you can't. You know, there's so much media out there. It's it's mind boggling how many different ways one can distract oneself in this world or immerse yourself into something. But there is nothing like um, what happens when you sit down in a theater and the lights go down and something happens and you have the ability to be entertained and or transformed, enlightened, whatever it is that you're, that you've, you know, that you've put yourself in that two, two and a half hour space for, you know, that something amazing and magical happens that's not going to happen anywhere else. It isn't going to happen in a movie theater because, you know, it, it. which is great. I love going to the movies, but it's a different experience um, to be sitting in a theater and have something come to life in front of you. And that's part of why, you know, youth theater and youth, youth theater programs, we certainly have one here 
uh, run by Donna and Gleema um, in our theater, and they're really valuable. It, those are and those are a set of skills you teach children um, that they can take out into their lives. I mean, some of the best lawyers I know were in youth theater programs as kids because it gives you an opportunity to um, to come out of yourself and to and it gives you great confidence being in a youth theater program. But there's also value in bringing children into their or young people into the theater for a you know for a mainstream production of, uh, that's age appropriate and having them sit amongst people of all ages and sizes and and uh, have the lights go down and have that experience kids need to know how to go up to a box office and ask for a ticket and how you know how to go through the front door and give their ticket and how to find their seat i mean it, once you've done that with children you can take theater to uh, to schools, which is a wonderful thing, and sometimes it's the only way children see theater. But there's nothing like the experience of actually showing up in a theater space. Mm-hmm. And so Linda commented earlier before you got online with us, Annie, about the outreach that the Playhouse is doing um, with 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 teaching and with the youth with the youth yeah. in the area. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly have a a, a growing, you know, our youth theater program has been in uh, place for a long time, and um, and Joe Lauderdale ran it for many years, and Donna's doing an incredible job now, and you know, we could always grow that program more. I wish there were more kids who um, were able to do that. Kids are pretty uh, pretty tightly scheduled these days, so there's not a lot of time for them, but. You know, we do all kinds of outreach. We are community partners to the Laguna Dance Festival and Laguna Beach Live, the music component in Laguna, and uh, we make our theater available for um, for those partnerships as well as the what used to be the community band, the Laguna Beach Concert Band. You know, it's great that, that other arts organizations in town feel that they have a home here at the Laguna Playhouse. And that's outreach as well. That's community outreach. I love I love Tyler Russell and KX ninety three five. You know, and I don't think they're competition for you guys or anybody. I think, you know, good radio begets good radio. Good theater begets good theater. You know, it's not competition. The more theater there is, the more people will go to. Um, but I think our community partnerships are one of the things that Laguna Beach can be the most proud of. Because uh, we do that really well, all of us. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think I think there is no competition. There's just a culture that you create together by all contributing a part. And, totally. um, and it's not competition. It really no. is. I mean, the more there is to see that is that is good. If when people are good at what they do, the more you'll go see. You don't you don't go to a museum and you know if you've got the time, you don't go to just one room. If there are five rooms, you go to five rooms, you know, and uh, and that's sort of like what a season is at, at in a theater like ours. That's a, a theater with a um, with a season subscription and slots and then ancillary activity. You know, I'm the curator, and what I do is curate a season. And just as you would walk into, you know, uh, the museum, Laguna Museum of Art or LACMA. Uh, you know, you you're gonna walk in the door, and you're not gonna like everything you see, or it's just not gonna speak to you, or isn't of interest to you. But there's value in seeing all of it. Right, right, and and play like Linda's, where you really, like you said, Linda, you really need to chew on it, 
And afterwards, it lays this forum for you to have a discussion that really is a very difficult one to bring up at a, at a tabletop. Um, but it, it sets somebody up to have a difficult discussion. Yeah, you should hear the parking lot talk. That's my favorite thing to do after this show, <laughs> is to go to the parking lot and walk very slowly to my car. Because, boy, the conversations that are coming, people actually... If they've come in separate cars, they hesitate getting in their cars. They stand in the parking lot and talk. That's what you want to do. Absolutely. That's fun. That That's is really fun. That is fun. Well, um, I, wish Laguna, I wish our Laguna Beach restaurant stayed open later because uh, there's a lot of grist for the mill and food for thought. But uh, people seem to find a way to keep the conversation going. They just do. They're so close to the beach down there, they can just go for a walk. But you're right. right. You're right. We probably yeah. should talk to them about that and uh, have them get their act together in the restaurant yeah. biz. <laughs> I, I could I could have really used a really nice big glass of wine after that performance. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so do we. Don't we, Linda? That's right. <laughs> lucky, for, lucky for you, it's probably easily accessible. But um, while we're drawing down on our time, I have about three minutes left. Is there... Um, is there something else you can share with me about the unfolding of this process, especially you, Linda, the demandingness of this kind of project? And it looks to me, Annie, like the upcoming performance with Ed Asner might be very similar. Um, is where is he having a lot of performers with him, or is he doing a similar? Um, oh, it's a one-man show. It is also as was Val show. Kilmer's, you know, Mark Twain, and what Hershey mm-hmm. Felder does. You know, he has a mm-hmm. Hershey has a, a a template for the kind of work that he does, and mm-hmm. you know, again, it's not for the faint of heart. You really have to, you have to be, um, you have to be in shape mentally, physically, in every way. You have to be in shape to tackle this kind of material. Yeah. When you sit down as an actor and actress to, you know, to start first. Starting with your with your play with your script, one of the things that you usually do is highlight your lines. Yeah. I sat down the first day with my highlighter and then realized, no, there's no need because I'm the only one. You talking. can highlight the stage directions; that would be easier. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then you talked about how the 60-some-odd pages of dialogue really infused for you, um, where you can't even remember a phone number, but yet um, this this became you for this time period. It's, again, it's it's the mark of really good writing. It's like Shakespeare is, is of course, daunting, but easy to remember because it's so good. Right. Well, ladies, I'm so thankful for the time that you've shared with us here today. Um, KUCI, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and we have just enjoyed a delightful hour with Linda Pearl and Annie Warham, who joined us. Uh, did I say that right, Annie? Yes, you did. Okay, good. Um, who joined us to talk about the Year of Magical Thinking, now playing at the Laguna Playhouse. Um, it's going to run um, on Wednesdays through Saturdays, and it's going to run up until November 2nd. Um, Linda Pearl gives an amazing performance. I was able to sit in the audience and really, I'd have to say, benefit by by that. I felt I felt you were so generous as an actress. And as an audience member, you know, you don't always feel that. And, and yet I felt like you really gave something to me, the one person sitting in one chair. And so um, 
Uh, the running time on that is an hour and 45 minutes. You will not want to miss one minute of that performance. So I recommend uh, you do everything necessary to stay in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you very much. We're also there on Sundays. So Sunday shows also. Did I did I forget Sunday. that? I meant to say Wednesday okay. through Sunday and um, uh-huh. ending on November second. So definitely worth worthwhile to get out there and and check out that performance. Ladies, thank you so much for the time thank that you've you. shared with us. Anytime, here. Linda. All righty, we'll say goodbye and um, we'll we'll hopefully catch up with you some other time down the road. Great, hope to. Okay, thank you. Bye now. Bye. Anyway, um, that was amazing, and this is Kimberly Martin, and this is Real People OC. It is always such a great pleasure for me to um, bring folks like we just did to you today, and um, boy, let me tell you, that was um, that was amazing to hear from such a from such an amazing performer, uh, Linda, and um, also to get that little bit in there from Annie Wareham. Um, up next is Counterspin, and that's brought to you by Matt Kaplan, who then uh, later brings to you uh, Planetary Radio. So I'm always happy to um, welcome Matt into the studio, and um, I'm always happy to be here every Thursdays from 4 to 5 at Real People OC. If you have any interest in uh, learning more about the show, you can go to KUCI.org or you can go to my uh, show website, which is realpeopleoc.com. And um, I really rely on all of you to come in and uh, refer people to me. So if that's something that you want to do, you have somebody who has a story, a great story to tell, I'd love to hear. um, I'd love to hear from you. So um, I'll leave it to you. And um, up next is Matt Kaplan. Thank you so much.